Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. God bless you and thank you for joining us again today. And uh, I trust that you have been blessed by the program as you have uh, watched us. If you've been watching us on a regular basis, we've been talking about seeing God through the lens of covenant for the last couple of weeks. I want to continue that a little bit more uh, this morning, if we can, or today, depending on what time of the day you're watching us. But uh, if you have missed any of the programs, this will be the third one I have uh, actually filmed upon this subject by myself. And if you've missed any of them, you can go back uh, to our YouTube page. There's a link from our website uh, right there. You see it on the screen uh, that you can go straight to our uh, YouTube page from there and you can actually uh, watch it there on demand. If you have a smart device or any kind of a uh, streaming you know, stick that you can use to watch our program. Almost all of them have YouTube and you can watch us on YouTube. Uh, they're archived there. Uh, we, we've been talking about covenant. I'm, I'm not going to take a long time this morning uh, other than again to remind you that you can watch that uh, on YouTube. Also, let me just say this very quickly. You can also go back in iTunes and, and listen to our podcast. If you go up there and sign up, it's free. You can go sign up for our podcast and what it is is the audio portions of this program. And you can go there and listen at your leisure. There's also an RSS feed that's a link straight from our website. The last week we were talking about the Mosaic Covenant. The week before that I talked about the Abrahamic Covenant and how the Abrahamic Covenant led the children of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt based on His promise to Abraham. And when God brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt, He brings them out because of His promise that He made to His covenant partner, Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad God is my covenant partner since I'm in Christ in the new covenant. And I'm glad that God's got my back. That's a powerful thing is when God is your covenant partner, He will never never let you down. He will honor His Word above His name. And I shared with you how God had Abraham's back even when Abraham didn't always do what was right. And that's, that's another segment. But the thing that I want to recapture again in this particular segment is I want to talk still again about the Mosaic Covenant. Now once again in Exodus 19, I'm going to go back there. We won't go to Matthew the um, this morning, but we'll go back to the book of Exodus chapter number 19, and we will review just a little bit and then springboard from there. But Exodus 19, it says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mount, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God said, You're going to be to me a peculiar treasure, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, if you will. And you shall be unto me, watch this, a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. God's heart and God's desire was to make a whole nation of priests out of the children of Israel. He wanted to bring them into a personal relationship with himself 
as a kingdom of priests, that would be a nation of priests, literally, that would be to God for the people and to, pe to, the, to the people as a representative of God. I believe that through the nation, the seed of Abraham, God wanted to speak and bless the nations of the earth through this, if you will, nation of priests. What happens following this, though, is Moses came, the elders of the people, and God comes down on the mountain. I'm going to cut through some of this because it seemed like last segment I was in such a hurry because I'd read so much scripture. But God comes down, verse 9, and the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. The Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Be ready against the third day. For the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Now, when God comes down on the mountain, it's like a, if you will, uh, it, it describes it here like a burning furnace, a smoking flax, and the mount was altogether on a smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. There was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud. And the people said to Moses in the next chapter, chapter number 20, uh, the people said to Moses, in chapter 20, and they said unto Moses, Speak you with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you. Now what I want you to see is, when God came down on the mountain, in Exodus 19 and 20, uh, actually the writer of the Hebrews gets a hold of this, of chapter 12, he said, And so terrible was the sight, and even Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But what happened was, the people's concept about God was from their Egyptian mindset. You see, Pharaoh was a god to them. In other words, the king of that country was like a god. And nowhere had anybody, hardly, especially if you were Hebrew, went in before the face of this god and lived. Usually if you had an audience with Pharaoh, it was not going to be a good thing for you. God's trying to even get these people to say, listen, I'm not like Pharaoh. I'm not like your Egyptian gods. I want to have personal relationship with you. But the people became afraid of God, and they said to God, listen, we're, or they said to Moses, we're afraid of him. You go talk to him, and whatever he tells you, we will do it. And the people forfeited a personal relationship with God for a rule-based mediator system, and they forfeited a personal relationship with God, and the longer you are, or you stay away from a personal relationship with God, the more you're going to need rules. But in the New Covenant, Jesus comes to show us not just that He's this austere God who is ready to club you, but He's my God and your God. He's my Father and your Father. He starts to show us a side of God that they had misconceived. Matter of fact, the Scripture tells us in Corinthians that when Moses is read and when the law is preached, it puts a veil over our faces. In other words, every time we preach the law of Moses... We keep the nature and the heart of God hidden to the point where you can't see how God really is through the lens of that old covenant. Because when you look at God through the lens of the old covenant, he looks like a wrathful, vengeful old man sitting on a Victorian chair three miles south of Mars who can't wait till you foul up. But what you don't understand is that's not really his heart. Let me show you one other thing in Deuteronomy 5. In Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, I believe it is, around verse number uh, 32, it says this. Here's, here's the backstory of Exodus 19. 
And it came to pass, now this is verse 23, and it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God does talk with man, and he lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we're going to die. We're afraid of him, Moses. You go talk to him. This is what's happening. This is the backstory of Exodus 19. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speak out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Well, first of all, Moses, because God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and he's still alive. Secondly, their father Abraham. God spoke to Abraham as a man speaks to his friend and he lived. They really don't have any precedence of God killing people when he talked to them when he talked to their ancestors. The only thing they're relating to is how they perceive these heathen gods to be and how vicious they are. But even when God gave them commandments, I think it is so cool. God really didn't want to give them a rule-based system. He wanted to give them a relationship. He wanted to continue the Abrahamic covenant with them, but the people are forfeiting that. And God said, all right, if you're afraid of me and you don't want to talk to me, he goes on here in verse uh, some of these verses. He says, you go near uh, Abraham, and you talk with God, whatever he says to you, will do it. God said, I heard what they said. I heard the words of the people. Tell them to go get in their tents. Now you go sanctify Aaron and his sons. You come up the mountain. We're going to give them some rules, and we're going to send it down, and this is how we're going to relate to them through this covenant, because that's the kind of covenant they're demanding and asking God for. That was not the one God wanted to give him. He wanted to give him a grant covenant just like he'd given to Abraham. And like I said, the more you're away from a personal relationship with God, the more rules you have to have. But I think it is so cool that even when God gives them the Ten Commandments, and he's telling them, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and, the, one of the, and, and by the way, work for six days and then take a day off for yourself. I need you to take some rest. God, God has shown them is, listen, I'm not like the Egyptian slave masters. I'm not going to work you 24-7. I'm not going to put you in the fields. I want you to take a Sabbath. I created it for you to rest. So God is even trying to show his redemptive heart, even in what he's given to the children of Israel. But this thing continues to digress to when uh, Joshua comes on the scene. He starts adding to this, you know, the different kinds of rules that go along with it until the Mosaic covenant has become uh, moved from a kinsman covenant to a vassal covenant to a it is a, uh, a covenant where uh, God has not only become their covenant partner, but this is how it worked. And this is one powerful thing that I really want to get in this segment. It would be as if I entered into a covenant with someone. And I said to them, here's the terms of the covenant. Now see, under the Abrahamic covenant, it was one-sided. God said, this is what I'm going to do. And all I need from you is that you believe me. That's it, just faith. But when it comes to the Mosaic covenant... He gives them these laws and these rules. The scripture says, the law worketh wrath. So the moment the law came on the scripture scene and God gave them the law, see, they got by with a lot of stuff. When they came out of Egypt, they murmured, they complained, they belly ached. God never does a thing to them. But after the law was given, it is amazing to me, right here in Exodus 19 and in Deuteronomy, the moment that God gives the law, 3,000 people died because they'd already transgressed the law of the most. The rocks aren't even cold yet, and they done built a golden calf. So God, but, but what happened was God became not only their covenant partner, but he had to become their punisher as well. 
What you see when God is your covenant partner is that he will have your back. You see him have the back of Abraham, even when Abraham did some things that we think, well, why did God let him get by with that? Because there was no law yet. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. We come into this second part of it where God has given them the laws and the law of Moses is in force. And when you would take a covenant of this type, you would write the laws on this side of the, the stone and on this side, it's usually written on the front and on the back side. And then there would be another set that would be written on the uh, front side, the back side, that would be two sets literally of stones. One is given to the covenant partner and that covenant partner would take their set of the, of the rules and the terms of the agreement down to their temple and they would put it in their chest bearing the covenant that they had. And then they would invoke their God over this, because they brought it down into their temple, they would say to their God, if we don't keep the terms of this covenant, if we don't keep our side of the covenant deal, then our God, to do, God, then our God will do to us all of the curses that are written in the book of this law. And if you read the terms of the, of the curses in Deuteronomy, I believe it is through chapter 27 through about chapter 30, God said, you're going to be cursed if you do this. You're going to be cursed if you do that. And the people would say, amen. They called the covenant curses down on themselves. And they said to God, literally, they said, if we don't keep our side of the covenant bargain, then God must become our punisher. Now, see, God did not want to be their punisher. He wanted to be their covenant partner. And you see God doing things throughout the whole covenant journey of Israel where they get crossways with the Amalekites. They get crossways with all of these other nations. And because God is their covenant partner, it's not necessarily that God wanted to destroy them, but because God is their covenant partner, He's going to keep their back and He's going to rain down judgment on them and destroy them because He's their covenant partner. Not necessarily because it was His heart. Matter of fact, this kind of a covenant put God in a very uh, unwanted and, and, and bad position because now he's not only their covenant partner, he is their punisher. And that's the paradigm that most people see God through is that he is constantly having to be the punisher to the children of Israel. So he rains down judgment on them. And so that when, when Moses is read, there is a veil that's put over our face. And we see God as this vicious old man who cannot wait to send judgment on everybody. But I like what the prophet Isaiah said. He said, his visage is marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. That when you see him, there's no beauty that you would desire him. I think, I know that's talking about his passion on the cross and what he went through in his death, burial, and resurrection. But I think it's also, we've so misrepresented God by showing him through an old covenant lens that when we preach that old covenant, we put a veil over people's face and they can't see how God really is. But when Jesus came on the scene, he came to show us the Father and how he really was and to bring us back into a personal relationship and back into becoming a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You're a chosen generation, the apostle Peter said. God restores us back to the priesthood of the believer where every man has access to God and he gives us a relationship this time instead of rules. This time he says you won't need anybody to teach you the law. That's what he told them in Deuteronomy. They'll teach you the law. Moses go teach them and they'll do it. But in the new covenant he says 
because you won't need any man to teach you. That doesn't mean we don't need prophets or teachers. It means you don't need anybody to teach you the law for the Holy Spirit will teach you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth because you've been brought back into a personal relationship with God. But the people put God in this awkward position of being their punisher instead of their covenant partner, and you would see judgments come right and left. And, you know, uh, like I said, I think it's interesting, and I'm just going to walk real cautiously here because I'm not overly confident about this, but I, 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 I think it's highly possible, let me put it this way, that the Scripture says that the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they can't see the glorious gospel. I'm not sure the God of this world is Satan there. The truth of it is, is the, I think the Greek word there for world is age, and what he's talking about is the God of the old covenant age. In other words, when you see the God of the old covenant age, it blinds your mind to the glorious gospel. And it's in the same context where he starts in Corinthians and says, for when Moses is read, there's a veil that's put over our faces. I think what has blinded the minds of God's people is that we've seen the God of the old covenant age rather than see the God of the new covenant age. But God so loved the world that he wanted to bring us back out of this paradigm where we're waiting on him to constantly rain down judgment. Now let me tell you that I think that's really what the book of Revelation was about. I really believe that the book of Revelation is not written to some future generation. It was written to the first century church and a, a group of Hebrews who had forfeited their personal relationship with God, refused their Messiah, re refused the seed of David who was to come that was going to restore the kingdom. And the kingdom was not going to be of this world, but it was going to be for this world. For Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. He's trying to show them my kingdom is a different kind of of kingdom than you, uh, than you thought it was. And so he's introducing and offering them the kingdom, but it's about to be taken from them and given to a nation that's producing the fruit. As a matter of fact, he says in Isaiah, I believe it is 65, all day long I held out my hands to a rebellious nation. He said, but I'm about to be found of them that weren't looking for me. I'm about to be, uh, you know, uh, 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 found of a people who were not a people. And God was about to offer it uh, to someone who would receive him as a personal savior and as the personal if you will, relationship that didn't operate by rules or by regulations. But God so loved the world that what he did was he wrapped himself in human flesh and Christ became the fulfillment of all the curses. As he hung on Calvary's tree, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was literally taking the punishment of what the curses they had called upon themselves and he literally became a curse for us so that he could keep everything that this covenant was requiring. And the scripture said that this law was added as an addendum until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The seed was now on the scene and the seed had redeemed them. Jesus had become the ultimate lamb of God to redeem us. Hallelujah. From all of the curses that we had called upon ourselves in Deuteronomy, so that in the new covenant, we've not been redeemed from the blessing. But I think it amazing that when we read the curses in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, we find after every curse, the people would say, Amen. Cursed will you be if you do this? And the people would say, Amen. Cursed will you be if you do that? And the people would say, Amen. But when God reads the blessings to them, 
He said, I'm going to bless you in the city. I'm going to bless you in the field. I'm going to bless you coming in. I'm going to bless you going out. I'm going to bless your kids. I'm going to bless your cows. I'm going to bless your cash. Nobody said amen to that. I think that's a tragedy. I hope there's somebody watching me today that can hear me preaching about the promise that in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and somebody ought to say amen to that because the amen is what initiates it in my life. I need to come into agreement with the blessing of God. I'm seeing God through an old covenant paradigm and I'm waiting on him to judge me and curse me and he's trying to tell you, listen man, that's not the covenant you're under. You're seeing me through the wrong covenant. Yeah, I'm God, I change not, but I keep my word and I honor it above my name. That's why God had to follow through and keep his end of the covenant bargain and all the judgments and wrath you see poured out under the Old Testament was not because that was God's heart. It was what they demanded of God as their covenant partner to keep his end of the covenant bargain to punish them if they didn't keep their side of it. But I love this because the new covenant comes on the scene and it's not a covenant like the first one. And the old covenant, God said, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And if you do, this is what's going to happen. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. But in the new covenant, it is a brand new covenant and Jesus comes on the scene as the meteor. It is a covenant God makes between him and the Son. And you and I are partakers of that covenant by virtue of our union with him through our marriage so that we have access to this new covenant that God made intertheistically with the Father and the Son. And in this covenant, God says, I will write my law on your heart. I will remember your sins and iniquity. I will, I will, I will remember them no more. I will. So the new covenant, God just turns this thing back around and says, listen, if I leave anything in this up to you, you're going to mess it up. But this time, God didn't take this covenant and put it in some old covenant tabernacle somewhere in the Middle East. As a matter of fact, he allowed that one to be dismantled. But I love what he says in Revelation. After that temple is destroyed in Revelation 11, he says about, I think it's in about chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. It's right after they sang the song of Moses. And the song of Moses was the song that God told Moses to teach the people right before he handed it over to Joshua and he it was taken off of the scene. And it was a song and Moses prophesied of the demise and the curses of these people under this old covenant. And, and he said, sing them this song because it will remind them that when they do these things that God will certainly come and he will do all of the things that are written in this law to them. That's what happened in A.D. 70 at the destruction of that old covenant. It was not even God, God's heart. He said, even when he gave them in the book of Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon my people. I said, why 70 weeks of years or 490 years? Why 490, Lord? Well, that's very simple because the scripture says, how often should a man forgive? Until 70 times 7. So God gave them every opportunity to repent and to come out of that covenant and to receive their Messiah, but they re rejected their Messiah King and the kingdom was taken from them and given to the nation producing the fruit. And that nation is not just Gentiles, but it's the believers in Jesus Christ. And it's made up of both Jew and Gentile, the seed of Abraham, who was always the seed of Abraham because the seed of Abraham was always the seed that came by faith. Not seeds as many, but one seed, and thy seed 
which is Christ. And so when they come up out of that, God, God, God gives the curses in, in the book of Revelation. You see, if you read the book of Revelation and go back and lay it over the curses of Deuteronomy, it's almost verbatim, word for word, God keeping his end of the covenant bargain. That's why I say it can't happen again in the future is because we're not under that covenant. You say, well, Brother House, you know, now listen, I've got a lot of stuff on YouTube on the book of Revelation. But he, he wrote this book. Listen, first thing we need to understand is the book of Revelation was written to seven churches that are really in Asia. Not just seven dispensations. That's all added by theory. He wrote to seven churches. You say, why seven churches? Because those are the seven churches that the Roman road would have had to pass through on their way to the destruction of Jerusalem. The Romans would march right down and it would come right straight through those seven churches. They would know that it was near even at the door. And in Revelation 1, Jesus tells them, the time is at hand and they which pierced me will look upon me in response or fulfillment to Zechariah's promise where they will weep and they will cry for me as one who weeps over their son. That's not in the future. That happened in A.D. 70. But upon the heels of that judgment coming, I love this. It says, and the temple of God was open, not in the earth, but in the heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. God's new covenant is laid up in the heavens, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, who gives us an everlasting covenant, who was the atonement, the ransom, and the payment for everything that was required of us under an old covenant, so that we could receive the blessing and the promise of Abraham, the blessing and the promise of the seed of David, and the blessing and the promise that would come with the new covenant, because Jesus came to deliver the promise and then bring us into a full manifestation of the new covenant. God is no longer having to be our punisher. Does that mean he doesn't correct? No, he does correct. It just means that he doesn't have to rain down judgment on us because we are not under law. We are under grace. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. And I'm not saying that we can uh, live any old way we want to because what happens in the new co covenant is it's not a bankrupt old man trying to live according to rules in the new covenant. God makes us a new creation. And now we live out of our new nature. We live out of the governor called the Holy Spirit who lives and resides inside of us. Because in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. And so what we see, even when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, after 50 days after they left Egypt, they're delivered by the blood. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God gives them the commandments and the laws come. And the moment the law was given, 3,000 people dropped dead. In the New Testament, exactly 50 days after Jesus, who is the true lamb, is slain, they're in an upper room. And this time, God don't give them rules on rocks or laws. He gives them the Holy Ghost, and 3,000 people are added to the church. Listen, folks, if there was a law that could have given you life, then barely righteousness would have been by the law. But God didn't give us rules. He gave us a relationship. He didn't give us a law we have to keep. He gave us a life that will keep us. We are now governed by whole indwelling Spirit of God, so that the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. That doesn't leave you lawless. It tells you there's another law in motion. That's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And if the Holy Ghost can't make you be behave, all the church sheriffs you want to hire are not going to get the job done. I trust the Holy Spirit. I'm glad I'm God's covenant partner. I trust this has blessed you. Tune in again next week. We are about to run out of time. And I trust you've been enjoying these, uh, these segments as we've shared along this line. Uh, if you'd like to get behind what we're doing, call the number on the screen. If you 
don't get someone, please leave a message. They will call you back if you'd like for them to call you back. Or you can easily, the best easy way to do is go to our, our website and uh, you can give via credit card, debit card. You can even set up an automatic debit to become a monthly partner there. Won't you do that today, right now, while it's on your heart and you're thinking about it? Because I believe uh, the Lord's able to lead you to do that. We believe those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Just be obedient to the Lord and everything will be all right. God bless you. Thank you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.